Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. This edition deals with the article entitled, Realizing the Vision for Pediatric Pharmacy Practice Advancement Through Strategic Planning and Implementation. With me are Dr. Chet Kazor and Dr. Matthew Sapko of the Department of Pharmacy, Nationwide Children's Hospital, Columbus, Ohio. Let's uh, start by giving listeners a big-picture overview of Nationwide Children's Hospital. Chet, would you comment on that? Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Nationwide Children's is um, a large, academic, freestanding pediatric hospital with about 670 licensed and leased beds, discharging over 18,000 patients per year and seeing uh, about 1.5 million patients annually from all 50 states and 45 countries. We've been led by our chief medical officer, Rich Brilly, and other senior leaders since 2010 on a journey to zero preventable harm. Our culture is uh, deeply embedded in uh, safety, and we are committed to improving safety and quality through standardized approaches and quality improvement. Mm -hmm. I'd like each of you to uh, comment briefly on the role that you played in the change process that's described in this article. Uh, Chet, let's start with you. Yeah, this process really kicked off in 2013, shortly after my arrival to Nationwide Children's. Uh, we were led by Carl Kapler, our director of pharmacy at that point in time, and I was serving as the manager of ambulatory pharmacy services. Carl, Justin, Matt, and myself uh, actually began small group meetings to uh, discuss the potential opportunities we had, and uh, that, that really spawned the future practice model changes uh, and the big initiatives that we would undertake. Mm -hmm. Matt, what can you say about your role in this process? Um, in 2013, when we started, I was primarily serving as an inpatient pharmacy supervisor. However, my experience with Nationwide began in 2009 when I completed my HSPAL program, um, 2009 to 2011. And during that time, I really was challenged by all of my preceptors to consider how could we do something differently? How can we continue to advance the profession? And being the first resident to stay on, I continued to ask that question throughout my first few years um, in the role. And I thought that with PPMI then now reclassed as PAI, it really gave us an opportunity to look at what we were doing um, and try to offer more robust services. Mm -hmm. Well, Matt, you say in the article that it had become evident by 2013, the year in which this planning process began, that major changes were needed in the pharmacy practice model at Nationwide. What were the key imperatives for change? I think overall, one of the primary guiding reasons was that we were, had a very inpatient-centric approach to care. When CHECK came in, our ambulatory services were very underdeveloped, even though most of our patients were seen in the ambulatory environment. We had a lot of opportunity to grow there. We also identified care was inconsistently offered Monday through Friday, particularly during day shift. And we didn't have more robust services on evenings or nights. And we wanted to make sure that our care and the quality that we were providing uh, really transcended the time of day and provided all of our patients with access to pharmacists. We also had, with a new opening of our tower in 2012, 
really kind of, I think, mis-executed in putting pharmacies closer to patients instead of pharmacists. And we knew that we had the opportunity to have visibility to those patients for a pharmacist. Uh, we wanted a patient to be able to speak to the value of the pharmacist in their care. And at this time, transitions of care was really starting to be talked about nationally in a coordinated way. I mean, we wanted to definitely be at the forefront of this in pediatrics. And I think finally, we just felt that we had such an amazing foundation of pharmacist talent here. We wanted to continue to focus on the traditional growth of pharmacists through pharmacy residency programs. We also had very highly dedicated, skilled, um, and passionate staff. Um, we wanted to make sure that they could care for patients uh, as well. Well, Chad, building on uh, Matt's answer here, um, you say in the paper that the ASHP Pharmacy Practice Model Initiative, now called the Practice Advancement Initiative, influenced your approach to transforming the department. Exactly how did you use this ASHP resource? It started with Kyle Malloy, who was our uh, second-year administrative resident at the time, and he, uh, in conjunction with other leaders on the team, completed the PPMI self-assessment, and those mm -hmm. results were shared at an administrative meeting where we were able to step back and say, okay, this is what the thought leaders in our country have identified as best practices for pharmacy services. How do we stack up currently, and do we have opportunities to grow and shape uh, our department? And if so, uh, what does that look like? And so that was, that was really the initial start. From there, Kara Kurzan Barassi, who was our first year administrative resident, completed a comparative literature review of the various different PPMI efforts uh, that, that had been published to that point, giving us a foundation for how others had taken some of the early steps along the way. And even beyond that, there were other articles or documents published by ASHP, which we used. One of the ones that comes to my mind is there was a PPMI document called Transforming How Pharmacists Care for Patients. And one of the key themes in there was PPMI is a profession-led initiative that empowers the pharmacist and the pharmacy team to take responsibility for patient outcomes. And that's something that we really tried to think about is how do patients see the way pharmacists deliver care and the pharmacy team delivers care? And how do we do a better job of uh, looking through that lens as well when we're developing our, developing our services? Matt, uh, this article comments on the high level of staff engagement that characterized the planning process. At one point, this resulted in the designation of six work groups, each focused on a particular strategic goal. Now, one of those goals was to provide integrated clinical pharmacy services to achieve best clinical outcomes across the continuum of care. Tell us about the thinking behind this goal and the key changes you had to make in pursuing it. Yeah, I think there's three or four major pillars that helped um, us strengthen our continuum of care. I think both Chet and I have already said, and I think we just continue to hammer this home even in how we lead today. But it's making sure that patients had access and visibility to the value that a pharmacist can provide. And I think that this included needing to push beyond the traditional way of thinking, um, such as being available and providing care to patients indirectly through other providers on rounds, to actually being directly patient-facing with some of our activities. I think what really allowed us to grow from the inpatient-centric to having more robust ambulatory services actually an idea that was pitched to chat from one of our inpatient pharmacists 
about a vision for specialty pharmacy services? And is this a, a way to not only grow our overall hospital enterprise, but also just be more visible and available to patients? He took this idea and then with several leaders across our organization and within pharmacy has allowed us to grow more robust clinical services specifically for those acute patients in some of the ambulatory realms that have counterparts on the inpatients. And so we've been able to see increased access to medications, pharmacists, and importantly, safe and consistent care. As we already mentioned, I think we have a very dedicated, hardworking, high-potential staff pharmacist, and we wanted to make sure that we utilize them in the evenings and nights and even during the days to better care for our patients. We believed we could train them and teach um, some of these motivated team members to develop the communication skills, the clinical skills, and the critical thinking um, that needed to be present across the continuum of care. We've since seen huge gains in our staff's knowledge and the interconnectedness of our department, even as we've experienced tremendous growth as an institution. And I think we are more present to patients today, and we continue to try to be more present to patients in the future. And then I think indirectly through all of this, we've actually seen better work-life balance by our clinical staff the enhanced knowledge that I already talked about of our pharmacists in general, and then hopefully an overall improved collaboration and teamwork as we continue to broaden our approach to patient care across the continuum. Well, Chad, you certainly had an ambitious agenda that was probably viewed by some staff members as maybe disruptive and uh, perhaps a departure from longstanding practices. Was this, in fact, the case? And if so, how did you deal with it? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think something that uh, any major change initiative is likely to encounter. Um, in fact, there were several other changes within the department around the time that we went to implement um, in terms of leadership team members changing, and that in some ways I think even amplified the uh, how large it felt like the practice model changes were. So some of the things we tried to do were hold town halls where we really had all the pharmacists come and we just transparently shared what these changes were, what the vision was, and just as importantly, what it wasn't. We engaged um, several different assertive team members who had you know, significant voices. We would bring them into the planning process. So they would be a part of the small group. We would ensure that their voices were heard and at times, uh, myself and others would even have individual meetings with those folks so that uh, they really did understand we hear you and we may be going in a different direction or a direction that we have a vision for and here's why. One of the other things that we made sure to do during the town hall meetings was describe, like I said, what it isn't. So this wasn't going to be a reduction in force. This mm -hmm. was a budget neutral proposition and uh, even potentially growth driven depending on which business plans we would be developed and how those things would be justified. And I think finally, the other point that we, we uh, try to drive home with the team then, as well as now, is we're determined to invest in our current staff's future success. And that really was, how do we take our current staff pharmacists who are incredibly bright individuals and committed individuals and provide them with the necessary training and time so that they could then practice clinically and develop more direct patient care abilities to benefit our patients moving into the future and give them strong satisfaction in the work that they do. 
Matt, I wonder if you could uh, tell us a bit more about the training program for preparing staff pharmacists for the role of uh, patient care pharmacist. Sure, Bill. This is actually one of the things I think I'm the most excited about of um, any of the changes that we've encountered. Um, we've been able to create a new group of pharmacists um, that we call patient care pharmacists. It was very important for us in our uh, naming to make sure that patient was a part of it and that they were providing care. We have 18 of these positions now. We had approximately four, five at the time that we started this project. Uh, we have now over 40 people in those roles, which has been a tripling of the number of people that served in those roles at the beginning. We've taken nine staff pharmacists to date and trained them anywhere between eight to 12 weeks. That training is 50% on general clinical skills, critical thinking, navigating the chart and then give them about 50% of the time where they're focused on specialized area-specific skills to the patient population that they'll be serving in their role. We implemented a weekly check-in progress to make sure that people were meeting goals and progressing at a level that was satisfactory. We use the Joint Commission of Pharmacy Practitioners Pharmacist Patient Care Process, uh, where it talks about collect phase, analyze phase. And so we have them progress week by week, making sure that they are meeting things in each of those phases as they move forward. Ultimately, it's been a highly attractive position and satisfying for our staff. It's also continued to allow us to think about taking care of patients 24-7. Most of these pharmacists spend about 50% of their time clinical and 50% of their time staffing. So I think that's enriched and advanced our practice. We've seen unintended, uh, unplanned impacts, such as last on-call pages. And I think an overall improvement in the quality of life of our clinicians and their ability to be present to our patients. It's also been successful in being a, a recruitment tool for us, helped our preceptors refine their clinical skills. And when I look back from when I started about 10 years ago, it's just really impressive to see the difference in not only the clinical care we're providing, but just how we're training others. And I think it's been a huge strategic goal for us to advance our pharmacists. And this year, we'll actually be starting our non-traditional residency program. So we're really excited to have hopefully many non-traditional residents as part of our training and our recruitment strategy for developing pharmacists. Chad, I'm curious, uh, what can you say about the attitude of executive and medical leaders at Nationwide toward your practice model changes uh, at the beginning of the process and as the process evolved? I think that's a, a great question, and I was reflecting back on it as I as I think about the question. I, a few people were key to advise us during this process. Some of the support I re, I uh, received and and uh, advice I was given during this time was, you know, think about how you're going to create a burning platform to motivate others for uh, moving forward with the practice model changes and ways that may otherwise disturb you know, how they get paid as we converted them from hourly to salary or the hours that they work, really connect back to patient care and and um, and make sure that's crystal clear. So how do you create the burning platform and how do you get, uh, you know, the critical kind of number of folks to embrace the practice changes uh, moving forward? Other advice that I received from the executive level was, you know, whenever you do major change initiatives, you should expect that some people are not going to agree with those initiatives. And that's that's probably okay. You just want to be careful that you don't create a change that is either unsustainable 
or is so challenging that too many people choose to leave. So you have to think about how much change you can create all at once. And really, perhaps the thing that has driven us in most things we do that we embraced as well here is taking a quality improvement driven approach. So we literally modeled this out using the Institute for Healthcare Improvements uh, models and we built key driver diagrams and we were able to speak in the language that our clinicians were used to hearing. And that I think just made it feel a little bit like all the other changes that we have that take place. This too is one of those that we're, we're driving toward improved quality at the end of it all. Mm-hmm. Matt, turning to you, um, I, I know that Nationwide Children's Hospital has a reputation as a progressive institution that has an authentic concern for the health and well-being of its neighbors in the Columbus, Ohio region. Can you tell us how is this playing out in terms of the hospital's scope of services, and is the pharmacy engaged in any of these initiatives? Yeah, I um. I love this question. I think it's one of the difference makers for Nationwide Children's is just how integrated pharmacy is with a lot of the things that are happening around the organization. We stay in close contact with government relations, community relations, marketing, and the various volunteer activities that are going on. And I, I want to highlight just a couple of those that come to mind. A few months ago, I remember reading an article about premier world-class institutions such as Nationwide often have surrounding neighborhoods locations, people that can't access the very services that they need from those institutions. And we in pharmacy and we as an organization seek to change that. We know we want to be a good 21st century neighbor to all of those that are around our hospital enterprise and around our community. So our hospital has partnered with many local organizations. I mean, we've created a hospital initiative known as Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families, or HNHF. Our department has been involved. We took a bus tour of um, the kind of five pillars of the HNHF area. Chet and I mentor in the local schools. We particularly have a high school student that we've mentored for three years that will be graduating this year. And I had the opportunity to be involved with a live and learn community called The Gateway. And this provides really nice, safe, quality housing paired with career options for the people that do live there. And so we partnered in 2018 with Columbus State's um, technician program, um, as well as Nationwide Children's to offer a technician training program to, you know, hopefully enrich and invest those that live in the community, but also help for our own recruitment here to Nationwide. Our tech supervisor that we have here is on the board for several of the local training programs. I think one of the best community events that comes to my mind, and um, I'm sure Chet would echo, is the Columbus Marathon, which benefits Nationwide Children's Hospital. I have a lot of friends that are runners, and this is by far most of their favorite marathon, because at each mile, we celebrate a patient champion from our hospital who's out there to root you on. And for even those of us like myself that are not a runner, it's incredibly inspiring. And something we didn't talk about in our um, article, but I think I would be remiss for not mentioning now, is that we are opening um, a first-of-its-kind pediatric behavioral health pavilion um, in just three weeks in March 2020. This will have 400,000 square feet of very uh, methodically, carefully planned spaces that are going to address the mental health needs of our patients in addition to the medical needs that we've been focused on for the last 100-plus years. And so nationally, people are watching to see how and what we do, and we welcome that challenge. We believe we can transform and innovate mental 
and medical care of kids and that it's going to be a legacy for our community in the future. And so we take great pride in that and just how invested our hospital and organization is in making sure that we are preparing and taking care of the kids that will be the leaders of tomorrow. Matt, everything you've said uh, really seems to fit nicely with uh, the concept of population health that is getting so much attention in healthcare delivery today. So very good. Commend you for all of that. As we uh, draw our conversation to a close, let me ask uh, each of you to reflect on the change process you have been leading over the past seven years. Um, what have been the key lessons for achieving success in major practice change in an institution such as yours? Chet, would you kick this off? Sure. I've thought about this many times, actually, through the years as we've as we've come through the practice model changes and now that we, in many ways, can kind of look back on them. A couple of thoughts that come to my mind are, you know, I think it's important as a leader in moments like this to also be honest with the vulnerabilities and, and uh, to ask people to get on board. You know, I really need your help. I'm asking you to help us be a part of this success. Learn with us through our failures so that we can ultimately create the successful endeavor that, that you know, we're embarking upon. So I think that was, that was an important, important lesson that uh, at least I learned during this process. I did not appreciate the toll that really significant practice model changes can take on the leadership team. It's exhausting, you know, to really shift practice and, you know, it's really important to ensure that we are empowering our leaders, that we're taking time away to recharge the batteries, that we see the humor in some of the challenging moments. And, and it is gritty. Matt and I have talked about this numerous times over the years. You know, when you're going to make change like this happen, it requires a certain amount of requisite grit or managerial mm-hmm. courage to yeah. uh, drive home that change while still hearing the concerns and asking yourself, are we doing the right thing? And then, you know, doubling down on those efforts or, uh, or changing course, you know, when, when you need to. I'm interested in what Matt would say as well on this one. Yeah. Yeah, Matt, uh, let's have your perspectives as well. I, I think Chet summarized extremely well. Two words that I'll um, add on to that. I think, Bill, you had earlier said engagement. Um, so the other two that I will add on in addition to what Chet said are trust and humility. I think we needed trust to make sure that everybody knew that everybody was trying, even if we did have those missteps or failures along the way. And then humility was critical because certainly we, Chet, myself, Carl, Justin, did not have all of the answers. And we truly questioned and needed our thought leaders and clinical experts to help us create this best practice model as much as we did at the beginning, as we still do today. The one thing, when you had asked before, um, Bill, about, you'd asked Chet a question regarding our ambitious agenda, and he kind of talked through some of those changes. In this process, we also developed, um, we have organizational values, but we also developed four core values to our department. And I hope that anybody listening will have these as takeaways, but we, number one, knew we needed to always be present, and we still strive for that today. We wanted to be transparent with what we're doing. Clear and complete communication, although we know we get it wrong a lot, we need to continue to focus on that communication. And then assuming positive intent. And I think those values tied in with like a trust and a humility and knowing that we weren't going to get it right, but we were going to continue trying were essential. And I think looking back now, almost seven years later, it just is still 
shocking to me how in line with our mission, vision, and values we were when we started this process as to where we are today. And I think that that's how we know that we're continuing to get it right. Well, Chet and Matt, uh, thank you very, very much for having this conversation with me. Uh, it's quite evident that you continue to be uh, very enthusiastic about uh, <laughs> the constructive uh, practice changes you're making at Nationwide. And I think your article and this conversation will be quite inspiring to others. So thank you so much. For AJHB Voices, this is William Zelmer. I've been speaking with Dr. Chet Kazor and Dr. Matthew Sapko about their article, Realizing the Vision for Pediatric Pharmacy Practice Advancement Through Strategic Planning and Implementation. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.